Phil. Hello. Do you know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese in the menu? I have absolutely no idea what do they call a quarter pounder with cheese in the menu. They call it a Wraith Fines with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't say it oh. were going to be good. <laughs> I hate myself so much for laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> Lost in his own museum, we're back. It's season three. It is indeed season three. We've made it three seasons. We've done better than Dollhouse did. Absolutely, we have indeed. We decided it was going to be season three because we haven't done anything since last October and we just thought, new year, new us, you know, we're in the whole January diet in. I've joined a gym and yeah, yeah. taken up ballet and fencing both at the same time. And it's, so we thought, you know. It's absolutely a, a new year, new me sort of. Yeah, it is indeed. Well, we've we've been away for a bit, haven't we, Phil? We have been away. We've been doing things. We've been thingsing. We have um, been thingsing as well. We've made an album. We have. We've we've talked at length about the album, but yeah. I figure before we jump in, we we can do a little bit of a uh, bit of shameless promotion, can't we, Phil? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Indeed. But we we recorded an album with our band, Leaving Over Our Own. It's called This Too Shall Pass, and it's been I would say a, a labour of love for the last probably two years. Yeah, and it's been two years. We we finally released it on December fifth, twenty twenty two, and it's it's made I would say fairly small waves, but those waves have been impressive, haven't they? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's done pretty well. We we managed um, to get it to number one in the singer songwriter charts on iTunes for about forty eight hours. But I'll take it. I'll take that. Absolutely, we'll take it. And yeah. and thank you because I know that some of our regular listeners on here, if you if you're still here, um, have actually reached out to ask where they can download and listen to the album. So thank you so much to anybody that's that's done that. We we truly appreciate you. Yeah, cheers, guys. It's really cool. It re- really yeah. is fantastic. And we've got um, obviously the album out now, and it's you know where people are enjoying it, and we're getting you know thankfully lots of sort of positive reviews from people that are listening to it, and you know standout tracks appearing. And we're now in rehearsals for our first ever tour. Yeah, which is awesome. We're going to Belfast, and then we're going to well, we're doing one in Leeds, and then we're going to Belfast, and then we're going to Cumbria, and we're going to do a gig up there. Absolutely, and we've got a date in yeah. London as well, um, where we're um, going to be going to be supporting a great charitable cause down there. We'll talk about that on another episode of the of the podcast because we're, we're not going to get bogged down in it. But we've got this, you know, sort of really really great opportunity that's sort of presented itself in front of us, and we've been really busy focusing on that, and so that's why there's not been as much lost in his own museum or JT at the movies or not the negative or any of the other movie and media related projects that we like to get involved with um, yeah. as we would have liked to have done. Generally considered a good excuse for why we've been away for a bit. <laughs> I, I, I would say so. I yeah. would say so. I think we've, um, I think we've grafted bloody hard, but we've, as we always do in our downtime, watched an absolute shit ton of films. Yeah, we've watched a fair few. We've we've got a, a few kind of episodes lined up um, that we're gonna for, for movies that we're gonna talk about. We're gonna reformat the podcast a little bit. So what we're gonna do now is basically do like a we're gonna talk about a movie, um, which obviously we've done before. But rather than do a sort of a segment about just a kind of an, an idea of about movies about certain types of movies or whatever else, we're gonna talk about a specific movie and then we're gonna talk about another specific movie. That's going to sort of segue us into that. 
into like more um, of a general conversation. Yeah. And so I suppose that leads us on perfectly to talk about what we're going to do with today's episode. We're going to talk as the main point of the discussion about the menu that came out um, 2022, and I think we've just got it on Disney+. Plus. That's where I watched it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, um, right. And then the second half of this, we're going to talk sort of very loosely about Bullet Train, the film from last year. <laughs> so what we're going to try and do with this as well is 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 do basically do what Graham Norton does with his guests and just pick two things that are awesome but unrelated have absolutely nothing to do with each other whatsoever <laughs> and just see if they get on absolutely and just just find a way to <laughs> kevin Bacon the shit out of it yeah, yeah. No. let's just let's just get ed burn and robert downey jr on the same on the same uh, episode and see what happens so um yeah we're talking about the menu um it's it, it's kind of been long anticipated for a while we're both big ray fines fans we are um, indeed yeah anything with ray fines i love the guy I think it was incredible. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's one of those that was fairly under my radar for for the longest time. Was this film, and then obviously as we're now in awards season, um, it's I, I don't know, has it been nominated for any awards this or whatever? I thought no. it was on the best picture list, but it's not, is it? I, I thought it was going to be, but it, it appears to have been. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's fair to say that it's been snubbed. Yeah, um, I think I think that, that we'll, we'll we'll get through that in the course of the discussion because I've yeah. Um, Pun intended, Phil. I've had time to digest this, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I think we, I th- yeah, I think we might have some differing opinions on it, which would be nice for once because quite often yours yeah. and my opinions and values for films line up, and it can be a very one-sided fun but one-sided conversation. Yeah, we do tend to agree on a lot of stuff. I'm, I mean, I think I watched I watched this film thinking I've kind of been wanting to watch it for a while, and then um, I kind of got a, a day to myself. And thought, do you know what? Yeah, go on it. I'll have a go. And it was one of those, you know, when you kind of when you watch a film for no reason other than just just, just oh, to pull on. Yeah. Um, it was one of those. It wasn't planned. It wasn't. I didn't make a big deal of it. Really, it was just sort of like, oh, that new Ray Fiennes thing. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. Andy Taylor Joy's in it. Nicholas Holt's in it. Um, I went in totally. I don't know about you. But I went in totally blind. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about it. Um. I deliberately avoided trailers. I, it wasn't what I was expecting, to be honest. I, I'm not quite sure what I was expecting. But. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't go in completely blind. I had watched the trailer, which obviously gives a certain amount of the beat of the plot away. And then me and you had talked about it, because you were sort of like, I've seen this film and I think you should watch it, and you sort of gave me a few plot points as well. Yeah. So I maybe had a little bit more context going into it than yourself. I, I came out of it, and my initial reaction was... Wow, that was really good, and then I slept on it, and I was like, "Actually, was that as good as I thought it was?" And now we're ten days on from that initial watching, and I'm sort of more in the. It's definitely not a bad film, folks, and I'll, I'll throw that out straight away. This is a very well made, well acted film, yeah. um, but I just feel like it's fallen in that sort of middle of the road category for me. Um, and that's what we talk about it. We're going to do spoilers, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, so let's do the usual. Um, of we're going to do spoilers, so we're going to give you a about a ten second warning. If you haven't seen it, now's yeah, the time to fair. drop the podcast and then Watch come back the and pick it up later on. Indeed, yes, absolutely. So, so uh, that's been about ten seconds, is it? I would say so. If you're listening now, 
on your own head, be it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. you're on your own. <laughs> not not that I wanted to drop any massive spoiler straight away. There, I just thought you know I don't want to be second guessing myself while we're talking and going. Yeah. Ooh, can I? <laughs> I said yeah. That. Can I talk about the bit where he transforms into an elephant? And... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can edit it later. So if it does happen, I can always put one of those like. Burr, burr, yeah. Spoiler alert! Like, but. I would really rather not. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's just, just more work in post-production, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, it, 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 it's just, the more I've sort of, like I say, just sort of, you know, savoured the taste of it. I'm going to try and drop <sighs> as many of these in as I can. So many puns. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it intentionally, folks. I'm not even going to try and pretend like it was a happy accident. You know, it's, uh, it's just going to be right there on a plate for you. Uh, <laughs> did you enjoy the culinary experience? I did. I did. It was really tasty. Yeah. <laughs> there was no bread, but no. Oh, good thing. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, just just more middle of the road, and I, I just I think the the reason for that for me really was I felt there was a lot of plot points sort of set up in it that not necessarily didn't go anywhere, but also didn't go far enough where they perhaps should have gone. And yeah, there was bits that were sort of like where you you feel like a little bit underwhelmed by the like oh that's been set up and then they've executed it and it there was a lot of like Chekhov's gun stuff where the actual Chekhov's gun was a little flag with the word bang on it. Yeah, it per- um, perfectly put. Yeah, perfectly put. <laughs> it was yeah. Um, yeah. I think let's you know we're not going to do a full plot recap because watch the film and you know I think we've we've yeah. hopefully refined this down to some sort of I can't say fine art but fine scribble. Yeah, um, something like that. <laughs> and um, you know so we're not going to talk through the he said she said like the yeah. glory days of season one. Um, well, let, let's do let's do cast. So indeed. How what are we thinking cast wise? I mean Ralph Fiennes obviously sorry Red Fiennes I, I always get that. Indeed, as a British person, I still got that one wrong. Indeed, Rolf Fiennes was absolutely Rolf. Yeah. <laughs> no, Ra- 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 Fiennes was. Do you know what? Rafe Fiennes was just Rafe Fiennes in this. Yeah, Ra- Rafe Fiennes never puts in a bad shift. So that's the that's the level that we're working to. Is that he never puts in a bad shift? Whether he's M, whether he's Voldemort, whether he's the English patient, whether yeah. he's whoever he's played in his you know his very varied career. I felt like the character was quite two dimensional. Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah, um, but he played he, he played it beautifully. He, he really did play well. Um, yeah, I I I felt that it was two dimensional in the sense of I didn't feel like I was watching a character. I felt like I was watching Wraith Fines. Yeah, and and I, I suppose it's one of those things because to my mind he's not really a tight cast actor. Like you know, obviously Harry Potter and James Bond, as we've talked about on this franchise, are two of our big, you know, sort of movie and you know, sort of fictional passions, yeah, aren't they? And and obviously he's played very substantial roles in those films in the last twenty years. He plays sort of something that Ray Fiennes does very well is plays like principled evil. You know, like one of those characters where like he's he's got his own set of he's he's a nasty bastard. He's a really nasty piece of work, but he's he's got his own. He's got a set of rules that justify what he's that that help him to justify. Yeah, what he's sort doing. of it, that, that's that's what he's like, accountable to, sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but suppose going back to the the thing is like whenever I watch him in Harry Potter, because there were Harry Potter films and James Bond films where he was M and Voldemort. I think Skyfall and the last Harry Potter film came out in the same year. Yeah. So there, there's there's that crossover between them, and I had no problem watching him in Skyfall and going, "That's M." Yeah, and no oh, yeah, problem watching him in Harry Potter and yeah. going, "That's Voldemort." But in this, I just felt like he was just Wraith Fiennes. I didn't feel like yeah. he was bringing anything to the character. I'm actually, to be honest, if we're going down that down the James Bond route for a sec, like I kind of hope that they do what 
they did in the in in the uh, the Daniel Craig movies with uh, with Judy Dench mm. is that they they bring him back as M, but it's like a, it's a different character, but it's still because it just feels like. Ray, like Ray Fiennes is like yeah he's, he's born for that part man absolutely like, yeah he would have been a really good Bond in his day in fact he would have been a great Bond in yeah. his day yeah but absolutely you can tell I'm a big fan <laughs> no absolutely and you know again thinking you know Red Dragon's one that jumps out from his past for me yeah. and he's he's superb in that I got a lot of beats from this actually it felt a bit like the character that he played in in Red Dragon, I suppose. I'm, I'm saying he just played Wraith Fiennes, but I, I sort of felt like he was maybe drawing from that pool of sort of because again he's a sadistic killer in Red Dragon. Yeah. Um, and he's, from he's the Hannibal Lecter school, school of acting. Yeah, exactly. He's kind yeah. of got that sort of vibe going on, but yeah. But yeah, I, I would I would agree with your, your sentiment. I think he was he's good at what he's doing. Yeah. But there's not much meat on the bone. Yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those you know like you you can't blame uh, like. You can't blame an actor for putting in a bad shift when they've not got a huge amount of work with. But something that I think is more impressive than that is where you see a, a good actor playing, like putting in a really good shift where they still haven't got much to work with, and it's you know like that he's made he's he's able to make the character his own. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the the thing with this is that because I found it a bit of a two dimensional story. Um, particularly, you know, once once the plot starts to unfold, once the, the sous chef shoots himself in the face, and that I because I didn't really know what this film was until that until, until that, that point. Yeah, that that was um, that was the the parasite moment, wasn't it? You know, where the, yeah. the 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 old housekeeper comes back and she unveils the secret house under the house. Yeah, it was that like, it was that moment, wasn't it? Where it was like, right, okay, what what's going on here? Are these guys playing the long corner? Is it a comedy? Is it a what? Is it? And yeah. then that happens. It's like, right, okay, we know where we are now. We're on, yeah, we're on. But like you say, that yeah. this one didn't pack the same punch yeah. as. As that one did. And I mean, to jump back to the cast again, we've got Nicholas Holt in this. We've got, he was great. Do you know he, he was, was all really right? Good. He was, yeah. he wasn't bad at all. And I really liked how how well he sort of portrayed the sort of posh, spoiled, rich kid. But yeah. like the flip side of not the because you've got the and I didn't look up the actors' names, but you've got the three sort of like investment bankers. Yeah, and they're like the real sort of dickhead. In, you know, sort of spoiled rich kid sort of stereotype. Are they? Do you know who I am? Do you know who Daddy is? And they've got that sort of. Do you know who sent us here? Sort of. And there's that whole bit, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but he's also got that. There's that hero worship side to it, where I mean, it, like obviously you find out later on that that like um, that he's gone there with the knowledge that they're all going to die. He knows yeah, he's in on happen. it. Yeah. Like so, he's he's been such a huge fan of this guy, and it's obsessed him for so long. Um, and it, I think he plays that really well and he plays this sort of something that Nicholas Hall plays really well in this is the kind of the um, he's frustrated with Anya Taylor-Joy's character yeah absolutely yeah he is which he's, is you know it's, he, as, a, as a character it's a bit it's sad and pathetic and, and ridiculous but he plays that really well and that's a that's a skill like yeah absolutely yeah he, he does play that sort of because he I I felt really bad for him at first, and I will touch on the plot points maybe when we probably discuss Anya Taylor Joy's character a bit more because yeah. I'd say she's the 
the standout in this. I think so, yeah. Uh, she's definitely the, the goat of this this particular thing. But sort of we, we meet him at the beginning of the film, Nicholas Holt's character, and he's sort of he's obviously a rich kid, but he's this mild mannered sort of guy and he's he's really embarrassed about having to go to this once in a lifetime event alone, isn't he? Yeah. Um and so he's he's hired as an escort, which is Anya Taylor Joy's character, Margot, her to come along because his his fiance has dumped him. Yeah. Um, and he, and he, you know, he can't essentially bear the shame of going to this thing alone. So that's where we meet the guy, and he's he's almost relatable, accessible. You sympathise, you empathise with him, sort of thing. And as the film goes on, he doesn't really his character doesn't evolve all that much. But what he does is 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 done well enough that yeah. by the end of it, by the end of his arc, anyway, at the end of the second act, because he doesn't make it into the third act, does he? No. Um, you, you sort of. You, you hate the character, but... But he's still a victim of the, but, of the situation. Uh, of like. the situation, yeah. yeah. The, the one critique I, I had of it is that I thought that when the the state of play was, was revealed and when and it had that, I'll, I'll use that phrase again, that parasite moment where the sous chef blows his head off and you know, he, and Nicholas Holt sort of going on about he's a cook and he gets brought up to the cooking station and right, you make a you know, a leg of lamb then and they do that whole scene. Yeah. And then again folks, heavy spoilers, it, it's revealed that Wraith finds his character of the chef Slawick uh as has sort of been in I don't know if you'd call it cahoots, but he's been in he's been in contact with Nicholas Holt's character, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, and like you say, Nicholas Holt is is just so enamoured with the whole process and he's got such hero worship for Rafe finds his character that he's happy to be killed as part of a work of art. Yeah, which is, I mean, I think that's pushing it a little bit far in terms of like, because this is the thing, the, the film started out very kind of, there's an there's, there's like an element of realism to it. Mm. You know, and it's, the, like the plot gets ridiculous, you'd expect the plot to get ridiculous, that's fine, I, I can deal with that. Like, the fact that his character is on board still with all of this, kind of, because he's like, what Ray finds is doing, what his character's doing is a, it's a cult, isn't it, really? Yeah, realistically, yeah. Like, it's, you know, the whole thing's a, a it's a suicide cult. And it, it just doesn't fit that an outsider would be there, you know, like... Yeah, it does, doesn't track, does it, that he would yeah. give that inf- much information to an outsider? And that he would give himself up to this situation... Yeah, exactly, and and again, and go out his way to go there to see the, it. You know, the plot points because there's the whole rule of you must never take film, you must never take photographs, and he's slyly doing it because he's wanting to document it all. Yeah, and he, he knows they can see him. Yeah, that's the thing as well. But like, who's he documenting it for, Phil? If he knows at the end of the night he's never going out, mum and dad again. See, this is the thing because I was wondering that, and I, I think he's he's trying to put it like he's trying to put the photos on Instagram while he's there. Like before anything happens to him, yeah, do you know what I mean. Which is like because it's like his last chance, which I think is an it's an interesting plot point. Um, but that's coming from the the one guy who actually knows what's going to happen. So it's it, yeah, it's it's an interesting yeah. one to sort of um, to debate, and I think it brings us quite nicely into talking about Anya Taylor Joy yeah. playing Margot. Like I said before, I really felt she was the the goat of this whole thing. She she kept it moving. Just one thing about Nicholas Hall's character before we move on. Like, yeah, do, do you think that do you think that that like what they did with his character was a little bit of a cop out. Yeah, see, this is this is kind of one of the things I was thinking about talking about a bit later on. But absolutely, sort of, because Chef just basically sort of just we don't hear what he says, but he whispers in his ear, yeah. and then the next shot we see of him is um, Nicholas Holt's character swinging from the rafters in the chef, uh, and he brutalizes him. 
like he really does him over you know like the, yeah. the kind of oh we've created something like because he hasn't gone for ages like no he, he wants this get him that and then it's like and we have this which is inedible yeah <laughs> so, I mean, barely cooked lamb like, vegetables yeah. that are not cooked and yeah you say he absolutely <laughs> reads him for filth as my sister would say yeah and <laughs> It, it's great, isn't it? But you no, know, he absolutely does. He just he tears him a new one, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and then and then whispers in his ear. And I don't know. I, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy the hero worship to that level. Yeah, no, neither did I. That was where I like, was. I was. I was kind of when when it was revealed that it's like, well, you brought her and you knew this was happening all along, sort of thing. It was, I was waiting for the character to do the, you know, like what. Um, Bill Skarsgård does in uh, in it when he sort of obviously we know straight away that he's a bad guy but yeah. he's talking to the young kid isn't he and he's oh we all float down here and he's got all that going on and then he's, he does the thing with his eyes where he sort of crosses his eyes and, and he furrows his brow and it's sort of like alright okay yeah so this is the point where they, I was kind of waiting for that cliched moment where he was going to start twiddling the moustache and go yes I was the sous chef all along and yeah, you yeah. know I don't know, maybe that's a bit on the nose, but it just felt a little un- underbaked, underdeveloped. Underbaked. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> it was just, just a little bit raw. It was. A little bit. <laughs> it's still walking around the field, Gordon. <laughs> yeah. Wipe its ass, put it on the plate. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a fork, I'm going to deal with it. Oh, um, yeah, like, so, yeah, I mean... And Anya Taylor Joy, though, I thought was amazing. She, she was, she really was good. superb. In, I'm, in this I'm thing. actually a little bit surprised that she hasn't been. She hasn't had a a, a best supporting actress well, nomination for this. But I'm I'm not, but only because it's kind of the sum of the whole parts. And I feel this film yeah. was such a missed opportunity. I think because of the type of film it is. I think that's I was, yeah. because of the type of film it turned out to be. Yeah, I think. Um, but I'll, I'll get back on that later when we start talking about direction and stuff like that. But yeah, absolutely. But so she's playing this character of Margot, and and there was she talking about she is beautifully cast in this role. Um, you know, and she she captivates the screen whenever she's on it. Um, and 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 I think this this young lady is going to be somebody that absolutely goes on to be, uh, you know, a, a Diana Rigg, a Judy Dench, a Maggie oh, Smith. Yeah. I need to tell Joyce going to be. You know, a, she, she's going to be here forever. And she's a movie star. Yeah, absolutely. She's a real she's, movie star. She's gonna not. She's not already made it, yeah. but she's gonna make it. Um, you know, but but anyway, yeah. So she she's playing Margot, and then. Like as soon as we're introduced to her, you know she's she's having the bit of back and forth with um with with Nicholas Holt, and he she lights up a cig, and and he's like, no, don't do that, you'll you ruin your oh, palate, and, 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 yeah. and whatever. That and was a nice touch. It, it was, yeah, and and I, and I like how they... you're already starting to get sorry, you're already starting to get that impression of what's going on between the two of them. Of like what their sort of relation, their basic exactly, yeah, it's pretty much exactly yeah. what I was going to say is you you sort of get the whole she's the fish out of water here, she's. Yeah. Essentially, the audience surrogate character and the one that we're supposed to champion through this. And I think it's a great plot point as well because it's a really good catalyst for for like because it. Uh, what I was thinking about this was you know the the bit in the Dark Knight you know the the whole like nobody panics when everything goes according to plan yeah know, even if the plan is horrifying like it wouldn't be the sort of film that it is if it wasn't for this because the the whole thing is that like Ray Fine's character that this whole thing's been set up. With a plan in mind, and because she's not supposed to be there, yeah, it's made it all. It's messed it all up, and that is and my complicated. That whole thing is my biggest problem with the story, okay. and that, that's why it falls to pieces for me in the third act. So, 
um, you're absolutely right saying that she she's obviously playing a prostitute, an escort, and she isn't meant to be there. And Nicholas Holt's character had this fiance that we don't really learn too much about, but obviously she's she's broken up with him. He's broken up about it, and he's wanting to get back at her. Yeah. So he's you know he's bringing this you know he's bringing this prostitute yeah. with him to you know a flipping twelve thousand dollar a night dinner or whatever he said it cost something something extortionate, wasn't it? And it it gives the movie a story before the story. It it does, you know, yeah. Because you, you're not sure what's going to unfold yet. So when Ray Fine starts approaching her and being like, "You weren't supposed to be here," you know, there's there's already tension building up before the main catalyst of the story starts to blow up. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which I like because it's but okay, th- yeah. This this film could have been done in it could have been a ten minute short otherwise. You know what I mean? Yeah, and again, I think that that leads back to sort of what, where I take a little bit of issue with it is sort of. I think really for my money the story should have been I think they still could have done the the character dynamic between Anya Taylor-Joy um and Nicholas Holt as well with him with her being the fiance but they're estranged and essentially he's sort of like you know we're, we're going to dinner with a senator and a movie star and a whoever and it's the world's most famous chef and you know it's the equivalent to you know you and Louise or me and Laura getting invited to a dinner with Gordon Ramsay sort of thing yeah. you, you put everything to one side because you're doing that and then the reveal of Nicholas Holt being in on it would have some weight because he's then brought his ex-fiance oh that's a point. to die that, I'd never thought of that, yeah. And it would give his character at least uh, some horrible meaning and some horrible weight, but it it would just take away the... And and, and I, I, I guess I'm, I'm probably speaking out of turn, but I can't think that anybody would fan so hard over something that they'd be willing to give their life for it, but I, I, yeah. I, I, we know they do, so... I mean, I suppose it, it, it would certainly give it a lot more weight, but, because, I mean, that is the thing, it's still, it's still like... It's still a horrible character because it's still that sort of like this this woman that he's brought with him. In his eyes, she's like disposable. Disposable, yeah. You know what I mean? Like because he he's brought her knowing that she's this is a total stranger I've never met before in my life who I'm essentially murdering. Yeah. Like. Yeah, and I suppose when you when you put it like that, it's a really good counter argument to what I've just said because when you when you stop and think about it like that, I suppose it does give yeah. that character. A it really gives it enough of, weight, but it could have more weight. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. What you're saying, but yeah, but I suppose it's that. Do you, do you want it all sort of handed to you, neatly wrapped in a bow? I was going to say on a plate, but I've done too many of these, haven't I? Um, <laughs> but, a very expensive crystal wine glass. Yeah, but you know, it, 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 it'd be all neat, neat in a bow, wouldn't it? Well, you know, I've I've brought you here because I knew that he was going to kill us, and I've no problem with dying. And I, yeah, I, I suppose that's that's just really preference in story. But that that was one of the biggest problems that I. I sort of took from it, and the, the other other problem that I, I, I sort of took with it, and I, I, we'd have to mention Hong Chow here, who plays Elsa. The she's is she one of is she a sous chef or I, I, I couldn't quite work out what she, she was. She seems to be a sort of almost like personal a con- assistant, yeah, like, concierge sort so, of someone who's like what what it seems like a character is. That it's, it's somehow she's gone through all the ranks of all the people that work in the kitchen with him, yeah, to get like right to the top. So she probably knows all of this. Yeah, and she's got herself to the point of being like a, you know, a, a PA. Yeah, she of. she's the confidant, isn't she? Absolutely. Yeah. She's like the front of house, the the sort of. I mean, I've worked in you know I've worked in kitchens and bars and stuff. Um, to me, it sort of feels like that person who's who's done all of these jobs and has emerged as like the, she's now like the front of house manager. 
She's like the, uh, what do you call it? What do Americans call them? Um, Mater D. Yeah, Mater D. Yeah. Like, that. But she knows all of everything that happens underneath. Yeah, she, she's, got, she's got the inner workings. Yeah. And, and I thought that she was, was a really good character until the bit where, like you said there, Ray finds about two-thirds of the way through the film sort of clocks on that Anya Taylor-Joy isn't the woman that's supposed to be there. And, yeah. um, you know, she's, she's already caused a few little fusses and sort of, you know, like I say, kicked up a bit of a stink and, and we, we start to see what, what Nicholas Holt's all about. So Ray finds sort of... He sort of goes out on a limb, doesn't he, and sort of tries to bring her into the operation almost. And he's like, "Well, you yeah. can either be with them, or you can be with us," sort of See, thing. I quite like that because I like the thing of I, I don't know if this is just because I've, I've worked in the service industry, but I like the the thing where he, he gets her into the office and and he he sort of he sort of he does like a cold read on it and has this like I recognise another service industry veteran when I see one, you know, like. Yeah. And whether it's whether that's recognizing some past job that she's had working in bars and restaurants, or whether he's relating that same sort of profession to being an escort, which I think is probably what they're driving at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I took from that that he sort of well, I feed people and you fuck people, but yeah, but potato, basically potato, yeah. the same. Like yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, no, absolutely. It's. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting, but then when when they sort of they sent her off to the right, can you go up to the house? Which you know we get shown this house at the beginning. Who lives there, Elsa? Oh, oh chef lives there. You can chef, ne- yeah. you can never go there. And so obviously you know full well that a portion of the film is going to take place yeah. in the flipping. At some point they're going to go. Yeah, gonna, <laughs> and somebody's going to. And so when when she gets up to the house, this was something I didn't really quite get. Is the house is a perfect replica. Of the restaurant that they're eating in on, because it all, all yeah. takes place on a on an island, doesn't it? This and the island is just the restaurant. It's, yeah, and it's uh, just in the middle of no. I don't know where it's supposed to be. Or I think it, I, I don't know where it's. Well, like you say where it's supposed, to be, but I, I got the impression that it was one of those sort of like you know islands off the coast of Massachusetts, like the Martha's Vineyard and yeah, Amityville yeah. and that sort of yeah. idea where it's you know. It, Mainland's just there, but just there's twenty miles that way. So yeah. a bit like it's what, just far enough for like yeah <laughs> to be out radio contact and yeah exactly yeah a bit like what crossing the English Channel would be from you know Dover yeah. to Calais sort of thing I, I, that was but you know that's it's semantics really isn't it that yeah, well, um, yeah. but it's but, nice yeah, to know things like that oh, no absolutely yeah I suppose it is because we're the we're the absolute anoraks that sit here and yeah. debate the detailed you don't need the detail but you you sort of want the detail yeah. If you can get it, but but yeah, what what we're sort of leading to say is she goes into the house and then it's this perfect replica of the restaurant, which is something that's never explained or sort of given any more thought to, and you sort of think because you, you you walk in and you realise that it's the exact same set, and you're like, hang on, what on earth? This yeah. has got to mean something. Um, yeah. and the only thing I could take from it was that it, the restaurant is his life. Yeah, and he's kind of. He's basically built the same thing in like in his own yeah, house. Yeah, like work is home and yeah. home is work, sort of thing. Yeah, so, that, so you can't sort of get away from it. And... But but yeah, that that was that was that was the only, but but it really jarred me. Did that, and then obviously she goes to retrieve whatever it is—a barrel of whatever cooking ingredient it is she sent to go and get. And she sees all the photographs, doesn't she? Which we'll we'll come to about the climax of the film, and it sort of it, it gives you a bit of background as to who Chef is. But then Elsa turns up, and they have this sort of fight that would be more at home, I would say, in a Jackie Chan movie than it yeah, is in this movie. They seem really out of place. And 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 so did 
Elsa's emotions felt really out of place as well because it felt more like, and and I could have read this completely wrong, but it felt to me like she was more sort of upset that Anya Taylor Joy's character might take more of a romantic interest in the chef rather than a you can't be his you know his his right hand person because that's me sort of thing. It felt like he's mine, yeah. and, I, and then just I, I don't know. I just there was definitely a jealousy element. Yeah, uh, je- jealousy. Yeah, but like, but it, I'm it, not quite sure exactly where it was situated, but it was definitely like it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that that's put brilliantly, Phil. Because I, 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 I yeah. couldn't place it. I couldn't. Yeah, that's. It. I mean, there's definitely like you know, she's definitely crazy. Yeah, she's definitely not. There's definitely there's a there's a sort of you know. She's some kind of psychopath, which I, mean, I suppose you'd have to be if you know what we're talking about earlier on about, about like, the position that she's in and how she's managed to get there. Yeah, I think to be able to get there under those sort of circumstances, you would have to be. Really. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to be absolutely like, just crazy be, gone, wouldn't you? Out of your mind, wouldn't you? Yeah, you, uh, but also incredibly with it as well. It's, it's a scary thought, isn't it? To because you're obviously very intelligent as well. That's the weird exactly, thing. yeah. So you've got to be a, you've got to be switched on enough to understand that what what's going on here in yeah. in above board, but also like you say, to be able to sort of walk it back. Just be before able to lose your mind in it completely, like she obviously has done. Yeah, and just just before we talk about the, the sort of the climax of the the film, I did just want to sort of bring up um, John Legu- uh, if I could speak John Leguizamo. Saying his oh, name right, I hope I'm saying his name right. But anyway, that guy, the guy from Ice Age, um, <laughs> I wanted to bring up his character because I thought that he was a really well placed bit of comic relief in this. Yeah, he was quite good. And and, and a lot of the times that because it, it's billed as a horror comedy, is this film? Yeah, well, I'm not quite sure I agree with that, but <laughs> dark comedy maybe. <laughs> yeah, but... the the, com- the thing is, comic relief in movies like this makes it weirder. Yeah, it's only there to make it weirder. It's not. It's not there to make it funny, it's to make people feel guilty for laughing at it. Like, that's, but it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I thought he was really good as well, and I thought yeah. he was doing a bit of reading up before this, as we, as we always do, bone up on, on any interesting behind-the-scenes facts or any you know any decisions that actors or writers and directors have taken to sort of try and help you understand the informed decision. The, the one that stuck out the most for me was that he was basing his character on Steven Seagal. Oh really? So he's he's essentially in his mind he's playing Steven Seagal. Oh, okay, that makes and a lot of sense. Sort of like you know, yeah. it, it, sort of t- to his words, not mine. Um, is that the character is uh, a horrible human, um, and you know, it's basically had the best of his career behind him, and he's trying to recapture yeah. that, and you know, like you say, his agents leaving him and whatever else. And it, I suppose a lot of that does does echo some of the things that you know Steven Seagal making. It's director. sad. That it's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's poor Steven Seagal. Well, you say he's um, it's probably not the forum for it, but he's definitely definitely got some. He's done some questionable films. He's yeah. done some questionable things in his life, and he's certainly got some questionable allegations against him. Um, I do love under siege, though. I'm just going to put that. Oh yeah, absolutely. That Steven Seagal, Warner Brothers era, sort of like you know, sort of late eighties to ninety nine ish, sort of like Fire Down Below, On Deadly Ground, Under Siege One and Two, yeah. and Nico and. Marked for death and all them ones. Some of the best like B list action movies of all time. <laughs> they're, they're, they're fantastic, aren't they? But I, I really liked that. I, I really liked that's, yeah, that's the, nice his commentary on that. I just thought it was funny and because that's been a, that's been a personal choice on it rather than like I don't think a director's told him to do that. He's been like, okay, you've seen right. This this is the script. Right, how am I going to do this? Absolutely, I, yeah. I know. Like because the, the other th- reading more on that, the one one of the other things that he sort of said was that the character is just credited as movie star, and okay. he's never actually given a name. Yeah, in I the saw film. that because I looked it up on IMDb because I thought I recognised him, 
Um, and um, but he gave him the name of George, and he's given him this backstory, and it's. Yeah. it's I, I thought that was quite nice, but I, I did like the the comic relief. Like I say, it's a real juxtaposition with the uh, you know quite sadistic sort of downbeat horror that's going on sort of thing yeah. when he's making the he's making the jokes and and whatever else and they sort of they do the whole bit about the well why am i even here i don't know you from the next guy i just wanted a nice night out yeah and he's like well you made a bad movie and i love that though because I, I think that speaks to the character so well of like how much of a psychopath this guy really is not petty you know because it the, the, the whole thing is like it's it's like the, the i think i said this to you at the time didn't I? it's like the thing in in hot fuzz about like the the reality is much less complicated. Yeah, we only murdered him because he's a terrible actor. Like, do you know what I mean? It's that. It's like, it's it it shows the character as being so much more of a sadistic lunatic. And it's it's be, I think it's been one of those of like, okay, I've gathered all the people I really really hate, and then there's a seat left. Yeah. It, so like, it, who, it was who's like, gonna go there? I know. <laughs> It's because it was because he was he was killing the the three sort of like investment banker guys because their boss and that was it one of their dads or something yeah. was the guy that helped finance the island and he felt like he was under the thumb of the the finance guy yeah so, so he was, yeah he obviously kills them and kills the dad as well the dad's brought out was like one of the courses in um, yeah, the um, or as like a an entertainment piece to go with one of the courses yeah. and then there's the couple who's who had. I think the idea is because they're so rich they can afford to just go there every week. And they do, yeah. And they do, and it's like no, like nobody has the right to, to, to not, sort of to be so. Nobody has the right to like be so used to this. Yeah. That, like, they're not, they're not appreciating it fully. That, yeah, which I get. To, to them it was the equivalent yeah. of like us going to spoons. Yeah, and that that's it. Still seems really petty, and really kind of, like. I suppose it, it, it speaks to his character in the same sort of way. It's like, because he is petty, that's the whole point. But, like, yeah. Um, that, I, I, so I can get behind that a bit. It's yeah. like, you know, a, a sort of says something about the, the division in society or whatever else. But, and I mean, again, that was, cause I mentioned at the beginning, there were a lot of plot points, sort of like dangling threads that were sort of like, you know, dangled and then not not pulled on. They they did a did a thing with that old couple, the rich couple, and I think you're supposed to believe that he's somebody in like government or somebody of power, yeah. aren't you? Like a senator or whatever, a governor. It's um, somebody that people are going to hear about when he gets killed. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, because when it emerges that he's he's had an a not, not an affair, but he's paid for services from Anya Taylor Joyce character. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting segue because that wasn't really necessary, but it was quite. Well, no, but did you not see them like, set it up when she she sees him and she goes? Oh shit, it's him, sort of thing, and you're like, yeah. right, okay. So there's a connection there, and then they're sat at complete opposite ends of the restaurant, and the the wife in the couple goes, "Doesn't that woman look like our Claire?" And they sort of set up this missing yeah. daughter, and then they do the pictures on the tortillas, which is a bit odd, but it's yeah, it, it was it's one of those subplots that's like unnecessary, but just not like it, yeah, it's it, not out of place. Yeah, <laughs> but. Fit. It did and it didn't for me. It was sort of one it's, of those. It's too much of a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. It was one of those things where it was sort of like, say, either make her the fiance, make her the character's daughter, or do you know what I mean? But they teased so yeah. many different things that Anya Taylor Joy's character could be, and then the reveal that she is essentially when it, you know when it comes down to it, and he's like, well, you know, my real name's whatever she could Heather or whatever she calls herself yeah. and it's not is it but um, uh, she's obviously Margot's the, the the character name and she's you know my real name's this and 
whatever else, and there's, there's no sort of big reveal, and I suppose that in itself is the reveal. Yeah. Um, links back to another discussion we had when we were talking about one of the Batman films or whatever earlier on the, the podcast, and we sort of, as an audience, you're always looking for an Easter egg, aren't you? And I suppose we're conditioned yeah, in a sense to... So, so I suppose maybe that's me just watching too many interconnected universe films and maybe what? it is because that's a problem that we have is like not just I mean not just me and you I mean like the we I think it's a problem that we have as a as a a generation of of film guys yeah that we kind of we've been conditioned by like the MCU and by James Bond now as well horribly which should never have happened but you know we we. We are conditioned to, to be looking for Easter eggs all over the place. And yeah, like I said, everything does it. Harry Potter, Batman, Marvel, yeah. James Bond, Star Wars. It's, it, yeah. Everything's interconnected. Isn't it? So, yeah, I suppose maybe I was looking for something more there. Yeah. But it, it felt... I don't like, I think what what's annoyed me and alerted me to it is that it felt like we were kind of halfway between. Sort of thing, yeah. like it was either like, right, she's, she's this, you know, she's a character that's linked to people and it's going to be a relevant reveal in the film or she's completely... Unrelated to them, and that's yeah. what that's what makes it so awkward that she's there. But I felt like they were kind of halfway in between. It was sort of like, what are the chances that you go for a dinner with twelve other people you've never met before, and one of yeah. them's a person that you just happened to have slept with? And there was no consequences. There no. was no stakes in that. It was like, like I say, it's like it's a it's a Chekhov's gun that that fires a little flag with the word "bang" on it. It's not like a that's gonna be like a, I'm partnering that, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> that's like my new favorite thing. Um, but yeah, there was no, there was no stakes. There was no consequences to any of that. It was just like, it it was just it was it was made you know it was made irrelevant by when he got his finger cut off. Yeah, and I was like, okay, well, let's just ignore all that because that, in comparison to this, that doesn't make it. That you know, that's not going to make any fucking waves, like. Guy's missing a finger now, and he's bleeding to death. Let's just focus on that for a bit. Yeah, like you know, and uh, yeah, I thought they maybe could have explored it further. I don't know if anybody intended to, or whether that was the whole point. Was yeah, like, and I think this is my whole problem with the film, and it leads us on quite nicely to the third act, where it's yeah. sort of they they ask, you know, the chef asks Nicholas Holt's character to go and kill himself, yeah, which he does, and that was so yeah. anticlimactic. It was because not that I want to see it, but. You don't see it. Really. I, I, You'd see a bit of it, but you don't... Because we'd, like, we'd already had the shock factor of the sous chef shooting himself, shooting his brains out, yeah. and we'd had the the fake rescue with the cop that was one of the other chefs, and we've had Daniel Taylor-Joy's character go toe-to-toe yeah. with uh, That fake rescue thing was weird, mind. That, I went, I'm not sure if that... I don't know if they played that particularly well. Yeah, again, it's, it's like, there's been so many sort of, you know quote-unquote parasite moments, shock moments, sort of like yeah. third-act twist moments. Well, the only reason why they did it, I think, is because he brought the boat Yeah, that she gets away on at the end, and it explains where the boat came from. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where they've got to the end of the story and been like, and then she gets away on a boat, and, and then the director's, the, the, sorry, the writer's has been like, oh, hang on, where did the boat come from? Shit. Right, and, well, like, Anya Taylor-Joy was <laughs> saved by, yeah. let's just say Mo. Mo. <laughs> She's being examined by top men. Top men. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like that was a cop out, and it yeah. was it was definitely one of those where it's like, 
oh bugger right yeah I never I never thought of that right we need to go back and write another scene right okay yeah so we bring this guy in and like I say <laughs> so when we're talking about the third act of this this thing and she, she's gone to the chef's house and she's seen the, the exact replica of the kitchen that goes nowhere she fights to the death with, yeah. with Elsa and then she sees the chef's sort of photographs on the wall and you know she sees the dad that beat him the mum yeah. that's inexplicably just sat there drinking herself to death um, which was again Chekhov's gun that doesn't go anywhere exactly like, uh, yeah um, you know I mean? and then she sees the picture of him working in this film's version of Burger King or McDonald's yeah. which again interesting thing I read up they call the um, the burger restaurant Tantalus um, okay. and, I, and I looked it up um, sort of because it said that it was a Greek myth so I did a bit of digging further under it and it's Tantalus was a character from Greek mythology that essentially invited the Greek gods over for dinner right. and served them the meat of uh, the man that he'd murdered and when the Greek gods found out, they banished him um, to stand in a pool, which any time he knelt down to drink in the pool would drain, and the pool was under a tree that grew fruit, but any time he reached for the fruit, it, it, that'd be just out of his grasp. So okay. he was sort of essentially sort of surrounded by food and water for the rest of his life, but not able to consume it. That's weirdly specific. Yeah, but... <laughs> But that that's those, apparently that's apparently those Greek. playful Greeks. Yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? But I suppose it. it I thought okay. it was quite a a very very subtle, but also very thorough reference to the Wraith Fiennes character because he's, yeah, he's at well. the point, isn't he? Why the point? The reason he's killing everybody in his mind is because he's he's just it's just become so mundane cooking all this fancy shit for people that nobody gives a rat's ass about yeah case in point the the old governor guy and his wife who just turn up because it's there going to spoons on a friday night yeah sort of thing do you get the impression that that's the that couple that's like this is where ray finds us started thinking about this it's because he's been pissed off at them. Well, I, I and know, it's evolved into like everybody else. Getting... I thought it was the we haven't really talked about her, but the critic and her sycophant. Um, oh yeah, that, that's, that's Paul Adelstein. That's the guy out of uh, the uh, the the guy from Prison Break. Yeah, he, he's brilliant. I knew I recognised him, but I couldn't place him. Bedazzled. Do you remember that with Brandon Fraser? Yeah, he turns up and that is like his best mate. He does indeed. He yeah. does indeed. But he's, yeah, he's one of those guys that sort of pops up all over. I, I, I think it sort of grew from there, and you can sort of, you kind of half understand where Rafe finds he's annoyed with them because she's written this scathing review yeah. that the sycophantic guys also peddled, and that 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 you imagine that circle of people have, yeah. uh, have really done him absolutely raw, and he's you know he's he's had a setback because of it. So you can kind of understand where he's come from there, but they were the only ones that I could not get behind, but I could sort of like follow the rationalist. It's okay, right, goes, you want to kill them. It gets more petty as it goes down the list. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like it gets weirder and sort of less justifiable. Like, like John, John Lee Guzamo's character. Yeah. I can say his name fine when we're off, off mic and it's just, it's literally the flipping... Yeah. Metal and foam in front of me is just making me go. <laughs> um, but just, um, just do what actors do. Pretend it's not that. <laughs> Imagine your audience naked. <laughs> Phil, put your clothes on. Damn. <laughs> but um, but no, I felt bad for him. But yeah, so this third act, she finds out that he's uh, essentially he's he's come up in the world from being a fry cook at a burger chain, and so when she goes back in, she sort of challenges him to make a um, make a cheeseburger. So he makes her a cheeseburger. Yeah, that was... I mean, I love this movie for the most part. That ending is a huge cop-out. Huge. Because yeah. that just wouldn't... Like, I know the whole thing is that she's manipulated him into 
some sort of like he, so, some sort of service industry model that he's got to. Yeah, I, I thought it was it was all too on the nose for me, Phil. Because yeah. she's seen this picture of him smiling, and it'd be like me seeing a picture of you smiling playing a guitar at a gig, and then you're about to kill me, so I give you a guitar and go, "Give us Hotel California, mate." Yeah. And so you're like, "Oh, go on then. Here you go. Oh, go on on your way." It, it, it. I mean, the thing is, is when she said, "Can I get it to go?" and it'd be like, "No." You're gonna stay here and die like everybody else. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, how stupid do you think I am? Yeah. So it just it didn't fit. It was it was a massive cop out. It just wasn't. It, it, it wasn't logical. It didn't feel earned to me because there was no, not was much saying. about the film that felt logical. Yeah. I do like the ending where she's sitting eating it and watching the watching the place blow up. Yeah. So that 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 was it was beautifully that. beautifully shot. Um, and I suppose. I just kind of wish that a few more of them maybe had got away. Yeah. Like Nicholas Holt's character, it's really anticlimactic when he ends up killing himself, but ultimately he, he was there for that, and he yeah, had to die. He had to die. Was a, he was a kind of funny character. You, you've revealed that the, the the old senator, governor guy is a flawed character. He's seen prostitutes behind his loving wife's back when they've got a missing dead child and yeah. whatever other else subplots are set up there for him. So I kind of get that they leave him to die yeah. and whatever. But John Leguizamo's character did it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but his character, he's done nothing wrong. No. You know, not, not in the context of this film anyway. Um, I just maybe would have liked if, like, you know, him and his assistant and the old lady could have got away. Maybe everybody else yeah. fine. Do you reckon it's just playing on the final girl trope? Yeah, I mean, it could be because it's a horror horror film, isn't it? I suppose it? it is a horror, so it's the the, the cliches are there to be had, but yeah, it's low hand. It's massively low hand fruit, but it is. But when you reach for it, yeah. it gets further away, and when you try and drink from the pool, <laughs> yeah. well, I wouldn't care. But it's not the first time that that Anya Taylor Joy's been the final girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? She was the final girl in Split. She was like. But it, yeah, I don't know, because it, it's like I say, it's not, it's not that I want to see people die in movies, like I'm not a sadist, but it's, earn it, yeah, earn it. Like the, the thing is, when you you only see three people die in the movie. Yeah, like obviously everybody gets killed. Yeah, it blows up and everybody dies. But it's like they could have. It feels like they could have explored it a little bit from like a creative standpoint. Whereas like yeah. Nicholas Holt's character gets killed. Like, um, there's the guy they drown in the lake with the angel wings. Yeah, he's the angel investor, isn't he? Yeah. And um, then there's she kills the Anya Taylor Joy kills Hong Chao's character. Yeah. Oh, and then there's the guy that shoots and himself. And then there's the, the yeah. I suppose. Uh, yeah, I guess that's. But for for a cast, you know, for for an ensemble of of kind of uh, what eight named characters. Yeah. And then like ten minion characters. Like, arguably, you know, cannon fodder in terms of yeah. that style of horror movie. Like, if you, you know, if you're doing a horror movie about, like, because this is the thing: is it a horror movie or is it a psycho thriller? I, I, it, I would say that it's a horror film. Yeah. And what I, what I would liken it to the most, where I think the film I'm about to mention succeeded, where this one failed, is Midsummer. Okay, um, I've never seen. It. Fantastic, yeah. but it's one of those films where it takes a lot of the horror tropes, yeah. like most horror films, like this one, are set at night or set against a dark backdrop, and it adds a spooky, mysterious atmosphere to it. Whereas Midsummer yeah. is is set in some part of Scandinavian Europe, where they're right up near the pole, 
and it's daylight all the time. The sun never okay. sets, oh, and so everything's brightly lit. There's nobody lurking in the shadows. There's yeah. none of that going on, and the fear kind of like the weather did in Somnia. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the fear is induced by the un, the, the uneasiness of the fact that it's all in the daytime and how pleasant everybody is and. Maybe watch that and do a do a, a look okay. into that on another one because I think that's it's a really good example to to my mind to my eye of what this film was trying to do, right. like subverting the you know sort of the cliches and the whatever else. But but yeah, this this one sort of just it just didn't it didn't it just, it gets to a point where it's like subverting the cliches. It like filmmakers will just do it and be like, "Ha, see, we didn't do that." Yeah, and like yeah, but like. You didn't make a big deal of the fact that you didn't do it. You just didn't do it. Yeah, you just didn't do it. But what like, you did do, sort of. You have to because if you're going to avoid cliches, you have to make it obvious that you're like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It it feels like I'm bashing this film, and I did enjoy it, but I would yeah. just. I don't know that it's got much rewatchability to it for me. No, it's it's probably going to be at least a while before I I give it another go. I, I honestly think it's a one done, and I mean you you know me incredibly well, Phil. But obviously, I'm I'm normally uh, you know I am an avid physical media collector. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know that this is going to get a UK Blu-ray release. Um, because it's I think it's, with it being a searchlight pictures that they're they're limiting what they're doing and they're only doing North America. Again, topic for another another conversation. But I was I was looking at it straight afterwards, and it's available. You can get it from Best Buy in America, yeah. and it cost me thirty quid plus import taxes to get it. Yeah. And I'm sort of thinking to myself, am I going to watch this again? N- never mind, am I going to watch this again on disc, but am I going to watch this again full stop? Yeah. And and I I honestly don't know that I would. Like I said, the, the, Ray Fiennes is great in it, but he's just Ray Fiennes. Uh, same with Nicholas Holt, to be fair, and I think his character was, was again, used the pun underbaked. Yeah. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy was the standout. She was she held the thing together yeah. um, for me. And, and everybody else was just... They were okay. No, nobody jumped out at me for this, um, yeah. and and I think for me it was a. I've watched it. I enjoyed it, but it was a it was a one and done, and there were just just one too many things in it that I felt could have been done better or explored more or yeah. you know sort of. Again, another another cooking thing you use this one where we're doing the music thing, but too many cooks spoil the broth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was a lot. Of, there was too many characters. Yeah, in it. that was a bit, that was a failure. Like, I I love the way it's directed. I love the way that it looks. I look. I like the way it's shot. Um, Have we mentioned the director's you know, Mark Mylod? Sorry. Yeah, Mark Mylod. So we're talking about um, what is a kind of appears to be like a, a, a. I'm assuming British from what he's done before. I, I don't know, but you would um, think looking at his um, yeah. looking at his CV, wouldn't you? His, his, <laughs> not his resume. Guy, not a guy I know a huge amount about. Um, is is definitely been like a staff director. On uh, on TV shows like Entourage, which I'm a big fan of, um, Game of Thrones, uh, directed episodes of the Fast Show, which is arguably the sort of would you say like the Monty Python of our generation of it's certainly fans yeah UK. it's certainly up there isn't it that and um, Ali G in the house as well he directed that which I mean can't fault that uh, no so you, we're we're talking about a guy who's got his finger on the pulse of British mm. comedy of the eighties nineties and early two thousands. Yeah, he's clearly very talented. I mean, you know, looked at some of the some of the episodes of Game of Thrones that he's directed, and they, they're some of the best looking. I think know. I think that's the thing that can't be argued here is this is a beautifully shot and beautifully that's looking awesome. film. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I where I sat with it most, like because I I I'm kind of I'm a sucker for that. I love a really good, well shot film. You know, like a, it's 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 such an integral part of obviously. Yeah. You know, 
well, it's moving pictures, isn't it? It's just got very to, well edited. It's got to yeah. look, yeah, it, it's superbly put together. Yeah, I think. Yeah, my biggest problem with it is is the story. Yeah, I think um, that's right. but you know, it, it's it's beautifully looking. It, yeah. It's again, it's kind of got that. Um, that sort of almost Zack Snyder syndrome about it, hasn't it? Like the Batman Superman film that he did looks, you could be looking at a comic book come it looks to life. spectacular, but it's just, yeah. But it's tosh. It's just crap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I wouldn't go so far as to say this is tosh, far from it. This is a, you know, it's a cohesive film, it's a competent film. Yeah. It's just, it's a film that, and it's not trying to do it in a smug way either, but it's a film that's trying to be better than it is. Yeah, I, there is a bit of that. There's definitely an element of that to it. That it's, I, I don't know. How, I think like by the sheer act of casting, Bray finds and Anya Taylor Joy, it sort of feels like they're giving the movie like more prestige than it than it deserves. Mm. But I, I don't want to be that guy. It's like because I did really I really enjoyed it. I just I would have watched it with like with a, a dozen B listers who I could maybe recognise from. Episodes of CSI or something. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. I, I yeah, I think I think like say so who played who is kind of kind of almost irrelevant, isn't it? You, yeah. you could. I think yeah. For, for me, it's. I mean, right, I would have I would have watched it with with someone like James Frain playing like, um, playing Ray Fiennes' part. You know, like, and it would have been just as good. Yeah, I think I think it is one of those where, like you said, the people were not that James Friends a bad actor is amazing. No, no, I know, <laughs> I know what you mean. He's an archive TV actor, but yeah, you sort of you know when you're looking at sort of who's up here and then yeah. who's over here, sort of thing in who's terms of TV versus RS. Ex- exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly versus sort of you know uh, celebrity A list yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've probably talked it through about as much as we can. Probably covered it, yeah. And I'd say, folks, uh, go go and check this film out. It's on Disney Plus at the minute. Yeah. If you if you are wanting to import it, you can get it from from Best Buy, Amazon, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff on on region free Blu-ray. Um, it's all right. And and I'd, I'd say yeah, it, it's worth checking out. I feel like this has been a largely negative review, um, but I, I would just say that the film raised more questions than it did answers for me to to, to yeah. sum it up, and. I, I like my um, I like my films a little bit neater than yeah. perhaps this was story you know on, on a story based element. And so we, we we said as well we we said at the beginning of the episode that there'd be a few sort of uh, changes to format and to housekeeping. And one of the things that we discussed with the first two seasons of Lost in His Own Museum, we'd said when we were deciding whether or not something should go in the museum and whether we chose poorly, whether we chose wisely, that we would sort of agree on whether or not. Basically, we liked it, and whether or not that coincided with like the Rotten Tomatoes IMDb score. So, like, if we said something was positive, and then they agreed that something was positive, it'd go in. And if we got it, you know, if they said something was negative but we liked it, or vice versa, then we'd we'd chuck it out. We've decided to simplify that to if we both like this film, it goes in. If we disagree on a film, if Phil says he likes it and I don't, or vice versa, or we both don't like it, then it doesn't go in. So I think I think that that's sort of how we're going to try and simplify this and keep it going further and sort of yeah. uh, curate the museum a little bit more. So I we- thought I was going to disagree with you a lot more on this movie, but I, I've kind of, having thought about it a bit more, I think, you know, the thing where you come out of the cinema or you just watch a movie for the first time and you think, you, you have that kind of like, that arbitrary excitement because you're like oh I've never seen it before and I really enjoyed it and then you sit and think about it for a bit and you're like actually it wasn't that good like that's I've had a bit of that 
Yeah, I think that that's the thing is I think coming into this yeah. a couple of weeks later has really helped me again digest yeah. uh, <laughs> where where I'm where I'm at with it and have you got too of, much on your plate, James. I, I really have Phil. Really <laughs> this this has been yeah the menu group therapy session, not uh, yeah. not film review. But um, what would we say, Phil? Do you reckon it's going in the museum or not? I think is, is it is it because we're both agreeing on it, or is it because we're so, thinking? Yeah, so if we're, if we're both agreeing that it should go in, um, then it's uh, then it's in. Yeah, if, I think. It's, do you think it needs to go in the museum? I, I don't think it should because I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a film that anybody's going to remember in a couple of years' time. I I completely agree. I think right. that this one uh, should be uh, lost to time. Yeah, and I would say you have chosen wisely, Philip. Should we have a jingle? Let's have a jingle. 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 Come on! I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> I don't care. But I tell you what, we do care about folks. We care about the next segment on the. Uh, I was going to say how to train your dragon podcast. Then that's not who the, oh, the last of his own dragon podcast. I was actually going to say that. that <laughs> lost in his own Game of Thrones presents how to train your dragon. <laughs> um, so we're, we're thinking about um, about big ensemble cast movies, and something that we watched recently, just on a total whim. Uh, for absolutely no reason at all other than the fact that neither of us had seen it, was Bullet Train. Which was fantastic. It was exceptional. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, there's probably going to be some people getting a bit annoyed by, the, you know, what do you mean you hated the, the menu but you loved Bullet Train? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, I hate Pulp Fiction, but you know what I do? Like, cocktail. <laughs> oh, Nuba, Jamaica, ooh, ah, wah. Um, yeah, it was it was it was excellent. It, it, was, it really was, and everybody sort of yeah. played so well off off each other in this. I mean, look at the cast list: Brad Pitt, Sandra Bullock, Zazie B, Sarah Taylor Johnson, Michael Shannon, man, um, like Brian Tree Henry, yeah. um, Oka, like absolutely, and then oh. you've got Andrew Koji as well, and uh, Hiroyuki Sandara, uh, Sanada, sorry, uh, Joey King. It's awesome. It's, it's so good. And that there's so many people in there, like you know, you get walk-ons and stuff from like that. Ryan Reynolds has a walk-on in it, and your man from Heroes, yeah, actually, um, mentioned, wasn't it? Yeah, and and Channing Tatum just randomly turns up. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's, it it's right up that sort of um, that kind of not like a Tarantino movie, but like people who like Tarantino movies who make movies. Yeah, you know, like stuff like Bad Times at the Royale. You've got like the the Coen Brothers type. Of carry on, yeah, like Burn After Reading or something yeah, like that, it's and very, it's Fargo, and and a bit of Guy Ritchie in there, and kind of like it's yeah. So you you can see David Leach that's made this film, and you can see his influences. I mean, you only have yeah. to look at that guy's filmography as well, like you know, Deadpool Two, Tommy uh, yeah, Blonde, John Wick, Hobbs and Shaw. You know, yeah. he's made some of the the most profitable and sort of popcorn, fun, enjoyable films of the last decade, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, and then you know he's he's really big on like self-referential comedy and like and just comedy in general like comedy violence which I, now that I say it out loud sounds like something I shouldn't be into but it's like cartoon violence yeah. isn't it in a sense yeah I just can't help myself man like stuff like Deadpool 
Absolutely, you know, yeah. I just adore it. Like so he didn't. He didn't. He was the second Deadpool he did, rather than because the first one was Tim Miller, wasn't it? But yeah. the second one definitely because it had that more of an ensemble feel. I know in the first one he's got the X Men with him, and you know at least the X Men rejects. Um, <laughs> it's as if the studio could only afford one. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, talking about Bullet Train, it's you know obviously it's the story of um, Brad Pitt getting on the Bullet Train in in Tokyo, mm. and he's he's. Uh, He's basically a snatch and grab artist um, who is tasked with go on, rifle the rugged, uh, rugged racks and. Uh, Luggage. Rugged racks? Rugged racks. Raggy? I'm the one who's had a few beers, man. <laughs> Apparently, I've had a stroke. <laughs> But yeah, yeah so he used to go on and rifle the luggage racks and find this briefcase that's that's full of cash and get off the train at the next stop. And of course, it's not that simple, is it? And he sort of meets all these characters and Sandra Bullock's in his ear on the phone and, and the dialogue's really witty and all the characters have, have all got, you know, unlike the last film that we watched, the, the characters in this, whilst they're two-dimensional, you give a shit about them. Yeah, yeah, you do. And it, because it's it's one of, the, one of those, like... Um... It's a bit like Smoking Aces. Yeah. Where it's it's a crime film where you've got lots of different elements. You've got like different like different people who are all converging on the same thing for different reasons and it kind of goes through each of them separately and like, right, this is why these guys are after it and this is why these guys are after that and and they're all in the same place trying to do more or less the same thing, but something, you know, there's everyone's got a different motive and um, and that, I I love that. Yeah, that was a story point. Like, absolutely, and like you say, it all sort of intertwines and yeah. sort of does that very almost Tarantino esque thing. As you know, that he, he absolutely just everything converges on like an end point. Ex- like, yeah, know. exactly. You know, and, and they sort of like you know, the, like you said, the stories intertwine, and then people have to work together and form alliances, and you know, stuff's going on yeah. concurrently to each other. And, and it's there's only... people who know each other already. They, yeah, like, exactly. And the, the, the prior yeah. relationships inform. I, there's a lot of oh my god, it's you from Mogadishu six years ago. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that yeah, absolutely. It's like the the Johnny English film, the sequel, isn't it? Where everybody he meets is somehow related to this mission that he did in Mozambique, where <laughs> yeah, he yeah. failed, and every time he <laughs> sees somebody, he's going, Mozambique. <laughs> they all know him, but they don't know each other. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it, it was it was brilliant, and like I say, the, the, it was really really endearing, and it, and it just sort of got us thinking: what are some of our favourite films? And some of our favourite filmmakers that that make these types of films, and and why do they sort of stand out? And you know, unlike the menu, I can see me rewatching this a couple of times a year. Oh, I think I will. Yeah, and it, you know, it'd be one of those films where, and I think, don't get me wrong, the the, the not. It, not comparing the films because that's like comparing chalk and cheese. You know, yeah. they're, they're two completely different beasts. But I think films like this um, that are a lot more easy watching, a lot more sort of accessible, maybe is, yeah. is the right word. Um, uh, you know, are obviously easy. Whereas something like The Menu is obviously it's, it's an arty film, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. a, it's designed more as a piece of art rather than a piece of entertainment. Um, but yeah, in particular, these ensemble cast films. I mean, you. You know they span the time, they span genre. I mean, like we've we've mentioned already, like the Coen Brothers, you know, Fargo and yeah. Burn After Reading, Tarantino. His entire filmography really is just Martin McDonough as well. I was looking him up. It's kind of it's uh, you've seen Seven Psychopaths. Right? I have indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's got a bit of that in it as well. You know, like... yeah. Seven Psychopaths is one that I need to sort of go back yeah. and watch. That it was one of them when I watched it. Didn't 
really rate it, but I love in Bruges. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really excited to watch um, Banshees of Inisherin when that that comes out. But see, I didn't realise until I watched Banshees of Inisherin because again, that's a, that's a bit of a kind of although very small ensemble cast. It's an ensemble cast, and I mean, in Bruges was. Um, it, I didn't realise how much stuff Martin McDonough had done that I'd seen. And as it turns out, the guy's one of my favourite directors. You know, I mean, you just haven't connected the dots. Yeah, yeah. like Seven Psychopaths, three billboards outside Emma Missouri, like um, uh, what was he on? Well, um, yeah, in Bruges. Uh, and yeah, it's just again that that kind of that talent for like, um, for for like doing sort of ensemble cast stuff. Um, it 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 takes a lot to make these films work because I mean. Yeah. It, You've got to give everybody attention on screen. I you mean, have, like... yeah, and I, and I think what what we were sort of saying before we uh, in the, you know in the preamble ramble, um, what we were what we were saying is that any one of these actors in Bullet Train or in Pulp Fiction or in you know Banshees of Inisherin or in Bruges or whatever, any yeah. one of them could carry the film yeah. on their own. Yeah. With a you know, with a, a a group of B listers filling out the cast, not not to be derogatory to you know to sort of B list actors if you want to call them that for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. But then when you get a cast like this, or you get a cast on Pulp Fiction where you know, obviously John Travolta, Sam Jackson, Bruce Willis, and yeah. Ving, is it Ving Rhames, isn't it? Ving Rhames, um, well, yeah. you know, uh, whoever else, Eric Stoltz is in there, yeah. Tim Roth, Quentin and Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino himself, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Harvey Keitel, yeah. and you, you get that whole sort of like. Any one of these, you know, any one of these fellas, any one of these ladies could have held this on their own. Yeah. And and like you say, it's important that you give everybody the due. Yeah, I mean, Tarantino's got a real talent for that because I mean, he sort of he, he gives everybody their own like section of the story. You know, there's he gives everyone their own sort of chapter, and I mean, like, because we're, we're sort of we're delving into this thing now as well, where we've got like like anthology movies are starting to take off a little bit. Yeah, you know, like obviously the Coen Brothers did one, um, the the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. They did, and that was amazing. That was that was one of those where you kind of had, you had this ensemble ensemble cast, but each one of them is like leading their own story. You know what I mean? And like I mean, Wes Anderson did it as well with um, with uh, the French Dispatch. He did indeed. Like, and yeah, yeah. It it takes a. I think to be able to do it like that is one thing, but to be able to do it as a as a single cohesive story is something else like that. I mean, you know, that with something like bullet train where you've got all this stuff converging on, on one sort of central plot point. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's almost bottle, isn't it? In the sense of it all takes place on this train. I think movie. it is a bottle movie. Yeah. Like I would, I would class as a bottle movie. And, and that, that often works well when you've got an ensemble cast and a completely different type of film, but one of the best films yeah. ever made 12 angry men. Oh yeah, it's obviously you know it's Henry Fonda and Lee J. Cobb, and <laughs> it absolutely yeah. is. But it's it's these twelve blokes, isn't it? And they're sat in a room having a debate, and it's you know obviously such an impassioned debate. Yeah. Um, Only saw it for the first time just recently. Indeed, you did. Um, I had the pleasure of showing that to you. Adore it. It's so good. Like we, we had a we had a we had a great little double bill one afternoon. Um, I've had a rough time of it recently, and bless him, Phil's been an absolutely brilliant mate and come and kept me company and uh, looked after me. So cheers, mate. No um not just saying that for uh, for Hans Baby it's radio. I do mean that. I'm still uh, here. If I, I if I blink three times, it means I've been kidnapped. All right. <laughs> Phil, it is radio. Okay. You can hear me blink though. You can. It's it's an audible. 
<laughs> need to oil your eyes. Oh, it's like a cricket. Yeah. <laughs> When's the last time I fucking pay you a compliment, you dick? <laughs> Love you. Love you too. Sorry, yeah, sorry, anyway. But no, so we, we watched that sure. and um, we watched Glengarry Glen Ross and watched them back to back and the, yeah. they're large. Well, Glengarry Glen Ross wasn't as bottle as I remembered it being. There's, there's more to it. Than, it's fairly bottle. Like, it all at takes least place all on the street. On, yeah, no, I was going to say, it all happens on the same street. Like, <laughs> but it's, it's all about like the dialogue, isn't it? And yeah. I think, you know, the, with, with that and with, um, with 12 Angry Men and especially with a lot of Tarantino stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Wes Anderson as well. Well, there's, there's there's almost a rhythm to the dialogue, isn't there? Yeah, see, I'm a big fan of this because I think that there's far too much put in now of like um, of th- these days of kind of films. That, like, I mean, it's an Oscar bait thing, you know, of like of, of films where the dialogue is 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 natural and really human and and sounds like the way that people actually talk. Yeah, you don't watch movies to hear people talk the way that they actually people talk, actually talk yeah. in real life. You know what I mean? It, there's a there's a certain way to make movie dialogue r- like really artistic and really r- and really good and really strong. You know, you get like writers like Aaron Sorkin that do it really really well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And Tarantino's another one. Wes, Taran- Wes, Anderson, when, uh, Wes Anderson is a master. Yeah, uh, his soon, dialogue's incredible. As soon as you said it, as well, my my first thought was like, I mean, any of his films, like you say, French Dispatch, Fantastic Mr. Fox, yeah. you know, Bottle Rocket, any one of them has got a great ensemble cast. Life Aquatic, but but Grand Budapest was the one that jumped out at me. The Grand Budapest is a great cast, and you know, any any one again, Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Um, well, that's probably where I got my bug for Ray Fiennes is like. You know, it's an actor that I really, really enjoy watching. But there you go. Leading back to the discussion we had for the majority of this podcast, just ever so briefly, isn't the Grand Budapest Hotel a perfect example of why Wraith finds he's almost kind of phoning it in in the menu? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen him. I've seen Wraith finds acting so so well in other things. You know, like really, really working at it, um, and and really having a lot to work with and a lot of challenges. Uh, which I think he faces so so well because he's he's just so talented. Um, yeah, I think it's it is a shame to see him sort of reining himself in, and it's I don't know I don't know like the <coughs> his character in the menu. Sorry, it, it seems like the sort of character he could play in his sleep. Yeah, you know absolutely. it doesn't feel like he's being challenged really, and it's like he's an actor that you really want to you really want to give him something difficult to do you know I mean that that could be as well we, we talked about the director but that could be maybe the director not getting the best out of him as well yeah, but sorry maybe. I just thought it was an interesting parallel because when we were sort of saying we're listing off Ray Fiennes' accomplishments before and his other and we're both such big fans of the Grand Budapest oh, Hotel yeah, and I can't believe neither of us brought it up as a yeah. you know like a piece to piece comparison it's my favourite character I've ever seen him play like yeah it's so good. What would you say your favourite ensemble cast movie is? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've got a lot of Tarantino favourites, but I feel like a lot of Tarantino movies are like designed to be that way. Like the the you know the design to have an ensemble cast. Um, and again with Wes Anderson, I, I know that it's not like it's not necessarily because these people are famous; it's because they've worked with him before, and he, he likes to work with the same with the same actors because he knows what he can get out of them. He designs characters specifically yeah. to be played by them, which I mean, I'm sure Tarantino does it as well. When you get like people like Sam Jackson and Harvey Keitel, um, to be honest, I where I go with with 
ensemble casts is I, I kind of venture more towards TV shows yeah rather than movies I mean like um, you know do you have stuff like Band of Brothers oh wow what a the, show oh I mean well because the thing is with Band of Brothers it wasn't intended to be like a massive ensemble cast it just turns out that so many people that were in Band of Brothers are now superstars so it's one yeah. that you can sort of... I, I like that, because you can sort of retrospectively go back and watch it and be like, yeah, yeah. holy shit, there's this pot of gold here. Yeah. But folk thought that it were flipping Iron Pyrite at the time, you know? Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of my favourites, and this is one, because we wrote down a lot, of, a lot of these, and I felt like I was missing one, and I know exactly what it is now, um, was Connor. Yeah. Because Connor, again, is an ensemble cast movie that's not trying to be an ensemble cast movie. Because a lot of these people... Although they were like known actors, weren't huge yet. Yes, Con- like, Conair's kind of the one where they're all they're all B grade actors, and they're all yeah, yeah. they're all they could be the villain in the movie. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, every every one. So Conair's kind of what you even wanted. a kid. Yeah, <laughs> kind of what you would have wanted Suicide Squad to be. Yeah, you sort of wanted. To, I mean, yeah, because I, I sort of I was thinking that about Suicide Squad about like you know when. It, these actors continue their career. It's like I want to see these guys get really get like huge. Yeah, you know, because I mean, Connor was like, you know, you got Ving Rhames in there. You got obviously John Malkovich, um, Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo, um, uh, um, come on, brain. Cole Meaney, Cole yeah. Meaney, John yeah, Cusack, John Cusack. Um, I think that's pretty much uh, it. Isn't it really? No, for- the, uh, the guy, the guy who plays pinball, comedian Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, like, there's so many people in it. There's so, and it, even even like down to like the bit part actors that are running here for a couple of minutes, like the guy, the the um, the DAA guy who yeah. gets killed, like he's like a massive TV that guy. He's been in loads of stuff, and like everybody in the movie has been in like, you know, yeah, been knocking about somewhere. <laughs> like, Absolutely, yeah. The, the pilot, the pilot's a big that guy. It'll be like TV that guy actor. Yeah, like <laughs> I love I love that film. Great shout with Conair. I would have never yeah. given that a thought. And it, it's such a massive ensemble cast movie, and it's like, but again, like I say, it's I, I'm not sure if it counts when it's like, I mean, because this is the thing I don't know. Because Bullet Train is obviously like trying to be an ensemble cast movie because everybody's famous now. But it, like, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. It's not like you were saying, wasn't it? When you can always we talked about whether or not to mention the Expendables. But your yeah. your thought was, and quite rightly too, that it was because it's written that way to bring you know Stallone, Arnie, Willis, everybody yeah, together. Yeah, let's get everybody back. Let's get the, the the band back together, sort of thing. Of yeah, like does it does it kind of count? Yeah. But I suppose in a, in a way it does. But I, I, I would... mean, Blues Brothers is almost like I mean, apart from the fact that you know it's it's a big it's a big cast of like of R and B heroes. But that aside, like the people who were in it, it's a super cast of SNL faces. Well, it is, isn't it? I mean, but these guys are huge now. By the time they were just SNL people, yeah, suppose you know, John think, Candy and yeah, you think about it, yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, John Candy in there, and obviously you know Aykroyd and Belushi. But like you say, the the absolute heroes of music: James yeah. Brown, Aretha Franklin, and yeah. uh, Ray Charles, and then um, it's the equivalent of seeing like an Andy Samberg movie now with like that's a real know, yeah, that's a really good um, with like um, I'm trying to think of more SNL people. Bill Hader, like Bill or, Hader, yeah, like absolutely, or Maya Rudolph, and yeah. like Adam Sandler. I think he tips into that 
pot of people, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. And it basically, like, th- there's a lot of that. I mean, because we've, we've talked about this before on the podcast about, like, what, you know, when, you, when you've got big cast movies, like, um, like I think Hot Fuzz is a good example of this. Hot Fuzz is great, yeah. Because these guys aren't massively famous, but they're just on the British comedy circuit. You know, you've got, like, and, you know, I mean, I, mean, I suppose Ray Spall and Paddy Considine are bigger now than they were then, but you've got Ray Spall and Paddy Considine. You've got... Um, yeah, you know, you got Olivia Colman you've got Olivia as well, Coleman, who's massive now. He's a, I watched, an Oscar winner, but at the time was just Olivia Colman. Was just was, Olivia Colman. Yeah, I watched a video yeah. on this. You know the the Bond YouTuber Calvin Dyson that we've both watched. Oh yeah, he um he, he does a does a segment most months where he'll he'll take a look at something that a Bond's been in, mm. where they're not Bond, and this month was Hot Fuzz and looking at Tim oh, Dalton. Tim Dalton, yeah, yeah, and um and and he made exactly the same point. Um. You know, sort of a lot, or along the same lines, at least about sort of like you say, you've got the old guard in the film because you've got people like um, Paul. Oh, what's his surname now? The guy who played Belloc in Raiders. He's the vicar. Oh yeah, and then yeah, Edward Woodward, yeah, who's yeah. the doctor in it. We obviously the original Equalizer, and then obviously you've got Jim Broadbent and yeah. whoever else. And then, like you say, you've got Paddy Considine, you've got Olivia Coleman, and yeah. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost holding it all together. He's got this lineup of like huge comedy people that were like, yeah. they, arguably, films like this did a lot for their careers as. Actors, where well, I don't think they would, maybe wouldn't have come as far without it. You know? It's certainly possible, yeah, absolutely. Because that's what I do like in an ensemble cast movie is like, is when you is when retrospectively you can watch an ensemble cast movie where people weren't famous yet, but because of like for one reason or another, because of who saw them in that, or because of what else they went on to do with that director or or other actors that were involved in it, like it's it's been a turning point in their careers. That's taken them from relative obscurity, on at least on the road to like superstardom. And I think Hot Fuzz is something that really nailed that. In, in fact, the, the Cornetto trilogy generally did that. I was just thinking Edgar Wright in general. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you take a look at something like Baby Driver, you've got obviously Jamie Fox in there. You've got John Hamm. Yeah. You've got <clears throat> Kevin Spacey. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And you know, is it is it, is it Ansel Elgar? Is it is he Baby? Yeah. yeah. He's. Yeah. Not, I always get him and the guy that played Han Solo mixed up because he's. Oh yeah, because another confusingly. He's like somebody fucking buck, isn't he? Doreen fucking buck. <laughs> <laughs> Doreen fucking buck from Minnesota. Hi. <laughs> Phil, that that means we're cousins. <laughs> <laughs> we spent our summers in Eagle River. Eagle River. Um, <laughs> another ensemble cast movie, which is yeah, Hot Shots is. I mean, but that's like Hot Shots was like an amalgam of like of people that were in screwball comedies, yeah. Who are now like you know, I mean Lloyd Bridges and, and oh, Lloyd, I mean, Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges, Lloyd Bridges is the MVP people. of that film. He's just one of the funniest human beings has ever walked the earth. That was another one that we we ended up watching the other night. Was uh, was hot, was Hot Shots? Not Hot Fuzz, Hot Shots. Yeah, yeah. Which I think we should do in a full episode on at some point. Absolutely, yeah. It's br- we should do like a. A screwball comedy special at some point, but yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. Yeah, Cornetto trilogy supercast movies. Like, it. I do like to see that of like when it's a when it's a turning point in their careers. You yeah. Know? Um. Absolutely. Yeah. My my favorite has always been The Departed. That's a great ensemble cast. To me, think of that. You've got you know obviously Ray Winston, Jack Nicholson, yeah. and you've got um, Matt Damon, Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know Martin Sheen, Alec Baldwin, Brilliant. Mark Wahlberg, Vera Farmiga. Yeah. Just 
absolutely just any one of those yeah. could carry a film on their own and be the name on the door. Oh yeah, it's exceptional. Like it's the yeah. I'll, all right, so yeah, that one's definitely one for the museum. Like I love, I love the Departed. I, one of my favorites is, um, and I haven't seen it for a while. I've only seen it the once with you. Was Bad Times of the Royal. That was a great film. I I sort of made the quote to you. I said when I, when I was showing you this, um, we we watched that on the day we finished building all the cabinetry yeah, in the yeah, old movie room, didn't we? That was the film we watched that in Jaws, didn't we, to celebrate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finishing building the room, but I said to you, you know, this is the best Tarantino film he never made. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's so many Tarantino beats. There's a lot of Coen Brothers beats as there, well. There really is, yeah. Like it's it's a very Coen Brothers inspired movie, and I mean, yeah, it's. Like, like you know, it's a similar sort of thing to Bullet Train. There's elements of that, you know. There's a certain stylistic approach to filmmaking that so many filmmakers have in common. Um, well, they've all got their own slant on it, but it's like it. You can tell where the influences come from. You know what I mean? And I mean, yeah, Bad Times of the RR was was fantastic it really was apologies if you heard the the sirens there Carrie Elways is back digging another sex dungeon <laughs> <laughs> that was the last episode wasn't it yeah. <laughs> alright Carrie Elways uh, Princess Bride ensemble cast yeah fantastic exceptional ensemble cast Andre the Giant for god's sake I mean yeah Wally Sean um, <laughs> Carol Kane and the Billy Crystal Carol Kane she's so funny <laughs> is it, is it Robin, Wright, Robin Wright Penn is she she the lead isn't she in Princess Bride yeah I think so I was right I'm just trying to think of <laughs> oh my dear Wesley what have I done ah! <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favourite physical comedy moments you know she's like when, he, when she pushes him down the hill like, oh my dear Wesley what have I done and she just launches <laughs> yeah I can see that now. <laughs> I, I adore that film. Do you know, I must, must the re-watch that. The shot she just tumbles after it. It's so funny. I must re-watch that, you know, absolutely. Oh, brilliant. So good. I mean, you, you get this thing with directors, though, don't you? They have these big ensemble cast movies that, that I suppose retrospectively are ensemble cast because of because you sort of associate them with that director. You know, like, I mean... You know, Mel Brooks has got a few of them. Yeah, Mel, like Mel Gene Wilder and like yeah, you know. Mel Mel Brooks had sort of the he used to bring together, didn't they? Like you yeah. say, the the comedic actors of of the time, sort of yeah. thing. It's maybe like another one of those kind of the people from SNL. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like Mel Mel Brooks is kind of similar in a sense to Wes John Anderson, um, with the sort of like he's got a. He's got a cast list of people that he likes yeah. to use, and right, okay, so how do we make these people work? And there's yeah. there's there's running themes and and whatever else. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's just so many, isn't there? And I, I didn't think when we we'd said we'd do this as a segment that we'd sort of think, oh god, yeah, and that's spawned yeah. that. But it's it's well, amazing, isn't it? I mean, so I suppose Tarantino is a really good example because when he first started out, you know, when you when you look at stuff like Reservoir Dogs and like Pulp Fiction, you know, you've got you've got Tim Roth, you've got Harvey Keitel, you've got Sam Jackson, like you've got Michael Madsen, like the, all these people that weren't huge, they were just around. Yeah, you know they were just they were in TV shows and they were in they were playing big parts of movies and stuff, and and you know you get these big ensemble casts of I mean maybe Pulp Fiction might be pushing up the boundary of that a little bit because. John Travolta was obviously already a superstar, but he wasn't known for that. No, but John, it was John Travolta's comeback. Yeah. Wasn't it? Because he kind of 
as far as I've read anyway, he'd kind of sort of done himself dirty doing the sequel to Saturday Night Fever in the mid-80s as yeah. Staying Alive. Right. And they do one, he did one, I'm sure it was like Urban Cowboy or something like that, and he did, did these two films sort of back-to-back. I think Stallone directed them, okay. of all people. But... Um, or one of them at least, anyway. But I remember reading that they were both flops and basically took him off the map. Yeah. And that Pulp Fiction was, like you say, he was a household name. Sort but, of rejuvenated him. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, a modern equivalent. Well, cause I mean, like obviously Bruce Willis was in it as well, and he wasn't. You know, he was he was still. Bruce Willis he was, was finding his feet because I mean he'd done Die Hard one and two, and that had definitely taken him because he was was it Moonlighting that he was in with Sybil Shepherd. Possibly, yeah. And uh, he'd had a bit of a singing career as well. Have you ever listened to his album? Bruce Willis's album? Yeah, it's very strange. It's great, though. It is really good. He is a good musician. Like, but it's just yeah. it's surreal, isn't it? It's just, a bit weird. He does Under the Boardwalk with The Temptations yeah. uh, on it. I don't know why he didn't do it with The Drifters, but... It just, um, it's it's a That's a thing that, do, that truly doesn't make any sense. It's like... like a, a, I've got cousins over in Australia, and they're, they're big on Russell Crowe. Because he's currently in Western singing. Yeah. He's like... How did that happen? Like what? <laughs> what's going on? It's, yeah, it's surreal, isn't it? Kevin, <laughs> yeah. Kevin Bacon does the same thing, and um, yeah. uh, what's his face? Hasselhoff is big in Eastern Europe. Massive, yeah. Well, because didn't he, wasn't he the first person to play in Germany when the Berlin Wall came down? Yeah, yeah, I remember that because I, I saw an interview with him about it, and he was like, for some reason, I'm like huge in Berlin, like I'm pretty serious. So, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> oh, I think it's um, Eurotrip, the um, you know, sort of the it's like an American Pie knockoff sort of yeah. thing, um, and there's, there's a scene in that, that that culminates with David Hasselhoff popping up and singing a song in German, and it's just Magnificent. surreal. But, um, <laughs> strange guy. We have absolutely just ventured off into nonsense, Phil. Yeah, um, we're on a bit of a tangent here, aren't we? Indeed, but but absolutely some some. And that, that's kind of what we wanted the second yeah. half of this thing to be, really, folks. Is whenever me and Phil get together, we just chat absolute shit and jump from one thing to another. Yeah. And we kind of wanted a structured thing for the first half, and then let's just see where the second half takes us. Well, a bit of banner on it. And uh, and and see where we're where we're at. Uh, I don't think that we managed to naturally get any of the cliches in, did we? I managed to force the radio one in there. Oh yeah. Um, we've talked about James Bond. Uh, we haven't um, done a we haven't done a David Fincher one yet. We haven't done a David Fincher one yet. No, absolutely. So, Fight Club, though, ensemble cast movie. Yeah, to be fair, um, that, that's that's a really really good one. Panic Room. Panic Room. Um, oh, Panic Room. I mean, Gone Flash- Girl a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Panic Room, guys. Flashback to our episode of that because that that was a really fun discussion. Yeah, that? that was cool. Season yeah. one, I think episode three or four, yeah. we did that. I like Panic Room. It was it was great. And Mank as well. Mank, Dave, yeah. David Finch is another one of them, isn't he? Where he just he has his he has his people, doesn't he? Like he has his kind. He of, certainly has his uh, people. Yeah, but and he, well, Christopher Nolan's a bit like that. Yeah, and Nolan too. But there we go. We've we've covered all bases <laughs> now, Phil. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, because like Inception's a big sort oh, of oh, Inception's superb. Yeah, like because all of Nolan's people are in there, aren't they? You know, like Tom Hardy, Kelly Murphy, Michael Caine, Michael Caine. Yeah. like uh, the whole the whole bands back together <laughs> yeah it's pretty much everybody but Christian Bale isn't there it's just yeah all the people that like it's 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 everybody in, in Christopher Nolan's phone book isn't it like, yeah um, yeah I, he's good like, I, I like that in a director you know like, I like people that are sort of they know what they're after when they write a character it's right I already know who's playing this yeah. like, I'm excited to see what he does with, with Oppenheimer yeah. I'm not as excited as I was for Tenet Tenet really left as I've said before again another yeah. example of an ensemble cast but it really left a sour taste in my mouth the thing is with Tenet I didn't really 
I, I didn't really get a huge amount of a chance to be excited about it because obviously like being I, w- I was excited about it as a Nolan fan but the cast I wasn't really bothered for and then the thing is with Oppenheimer Killian Murphy is one of my absolute favourite actors um, and it's just like it's it's got to be good I'm I'm really I'm really hyped to see it, and again, like you say, Killian Murphy and Chris Nolan is a match made in heaven. They yeah. they always seem to bring out the best in each other's work. Yeah. I'm really excited to see him work with Danny Junior and Emily Blunt and some of the new faces that he's bringing to this. Yeah, because there's you know, like I said, there's, there's there's folk in in this one that he's he's not worked with before. Yeah, and you know it was like again when he brought Matt McConaughey in for Interstellar, that was inspired um and and DiCaprio working on Inception was was really great as well yeah so I think I think it'd be really good and I'm excited to see what he does with the people that he doesn't have as regulars rather than yeah some of the regulars I was just thinking if you cast anybody when when you cast Matthew McConaughey it's always like it's always just a genius decision in it it really is yeah you know I mean for somehow it's always like Anytime you cast Martin McConaughey in anything, you know it's going to be good. It just just works out, doesn't it? It's He's got be, one yeah. of them. Well, he, that... he knows how to make everything fit. <laughs> he, he really does. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there we are, folks. I yeah. think that's probably as good a point as any to uh, to draw a line in the sand. Otherwise, we'll end up uh, yeah. chelping away all night. And you'll There's have a... a few sort of ensemble cast movies that didn't get mentioned, but should probably get an honourable one, which is Heat, um, The Breakfast Club, yeah, um, and Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven, no, some some great great ones there, absolutely. Oceans, Oceans, I love. Oceans falls into a similar category to Bullet Train to bring the whole second half back full circle. Yeah. I think it was very much designed to be a everybody's a star sort of thing, but it works to everybody's favour. It gives everybody something to do. Yeah, definitely. And uh, absolutely, folks, if you haven't seen Bullet Train, get it watched. I think we'd recommend pretty much all the films we've talked about today. Yeah. And again, to bring it back home again, the menu maybe didn't do it for us, but it might be for you. Um, and definitely go and check it out. But thanks so much for listening. As always, we're going to try and bring you one episode a month uh, for the remainder of this year. We both had a chat about what's doable, given you know working commitments and the band and whatever else. And we feel that one episode a month should be um, should be sufficient. The next episode is going to be a review on Lara Croft Tomb Raider and then talking about spoof films with a focus on Johnny English yes that's going to be fun absolutely it is indeed right so uh, remain indoors have a listen to Apocalypse and we'll see you next time Chris Barry here thank you for listening to Lost in His Own Museum you smegheads <laughs>